Hi, friends. Welcome to another episode of That Sounds Fun. I'm your host, Annie F. Downs. So happy to be here with you. Happy Easter. I hope you got to celebrate in some way yesterday. The music in the background is from our good buddy, Mr. Tornwells. Make sure you grabbed a copy of his album, Citizen of Heaven. Friends, we have loved partnering with International Justice Mission these last couple of weeks. It's the largest anti-slavery organization in the world, and they work to rescue people out of slavery and sex trafficking and walk with survivors until they are restored and thriving in freedom. I've loved getting to tell their stories. It's like such a privilege for us and for IJM in this time to be sharing their brightest stories of hope with the world, to remind us all that on the other side of tragedy, there is hope. And today I'd like to share one of those stories with you. Today's story comes to us from Kenya, where IJM works to end the corruption and abuse of power by police. You may have heard us tell this story a couple of weeks ago on TSF Quarantine, but it is one of my favorites. It's about a young man named David Makara. He was actually shot by corrupt policemen and accused of a crime he did not commit. Literally one evening, he was just going about his business when a group of these corrupt officers shot him and left him for dead. David crawled to a nearby hospital, was immediately taken into surgery and where they had to amputate his arm. But when those police officers heard he was still alive and they wanted to arrest him, the hospital staff refused to let them take him away. And when David woke up, his arm was gone and he was handcuffed to his bed. The community heard about David's situation, began to rally in support of him. And it was David against a corrupt group of police. And there was no way he could afford a lawyer. But that's when IJM stepped in and provided David with a lawyer. They tried his case in court and he was set free and the police officers were arrested. Throughout the trial, David asked God to make him a crusader for justice. And after the trial, he enrolled in law school. The IJM lawyer who defended him became his mentor. And today, David Makara has finished law school and is now a fully qualified lawyer with the High Court of Kenya. I I love this story. So you guys take a moment to visit IJM.org slash hope with us to see more encouraging stories of hope from IJM and share them with your friends. People need stories of hope right now. Again, that's IJM.org slash hope with us. As we were coming out of a week of Easter, I called one of my very favorite pastors, one of the voices in this season when there's so many people talking to us, and I'm so thankful for all the pastors and the leaders and the storytellers, the cheerleaders who are who are helping us to maneuver this. Um, one of the voices that I have trusted long before the pandemic, and particularly inside of it, has been John Tyson. John is the pastor of Church of the City, New York. He is also an author. His most recent book that released was called The Burden is Light. But coming this summer is his newest book, Beautiful Resistance, The Joy of Conviction in a Culture of Compromise. And one of the things I love about John Tyson is he loves to talk about prayer and revival, and he does the research and he lives the life. And I thought, yeah, if we're going to still be um, quarantined at home, stay at home, living sheltered in place for a little bit longer, I want my prayer life to be better on the other side of this. And John is the guy that, alongside Pastor Kevin, John's the guy that I want to talk to us about that. And so that is what we did. I was moved to tears twice in this conversation. I'm so sure it is the right next thing for us. So I hope you will um, enjoy this, listen close, take notes, and um, use it to guide you over the next couple of weeks. 
So here's our friend, Pastor John Tyson. John, thanks for doing this today. I'm really grateful. No worries. Thank you so much for having me on. This is an honor. I mean, are you doing a lot of podcasts right now? What's the what's the daily, <laughs> I don't like the word grind because it makes it feel like it's really hard. What's the daily rhythms right now? How many of these are you hopping on? Almost none. Oh, really? Uh, oh, yeah. Honor. Almost none. I mean, I, I can't think of another podcast. I've done like one or two little Instagram lives, but I think you're the only podcast I've done. Well, thank you very much. I would just, you and I were kind of pre-talking a little bit that the, the one of the things we are not lacking right now, particularly in the faith space, is a lack of content. Yes. And so when people are thinking about what to listen to and how do they pick which voices, what kind of rhythm would you suggest for people? Like, how many sermons should they be listening to in a day? <laughs> and how many different churches should they be listening to in a week? Yeah, I mean, th- that is the moment, isn't it? it, it it's This sadly has the possibility of feeding the American content Christian consumer like never before. We can mm-hmm. just gorge. You can go to seven churches on a Sunday. Right. Um, so, I mean, so honestly, one of the dangers is that we're in that James one culture of deception. If we keep hearing and hearing and hearing and never doing, it actually doesn't play a role of spiritual formation in our lives. All we're doing is producing more accountability for lives we're not living. So I'm actually pretty pretty low on um, binging on content. I'm actually more about, you know, use this time to really study God's word, get the theological questions answered that you've always wrestled with. Like go deep in your faith, not just in Christian content that's being produced right now. And uh, so like, you know, if you've watched more of the Tiger King than you've read about Jesus this week, you are going to look more like the tiger king than you are the king of kings i mean I'm, I'm totally serious about that so people in my church sort of um you know they know that i'm 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 not huge on just binging tons of content it's got to be the right it's got to be the right stuff and um i want people to go deep not just go wide i'll tell you one of the problems i'm having here for annie in nashville is i am working every day and i'm working a lot and i'm two days behind in my gospel reading because I overslept today and I jumped, I start recording a podcast at 7.30 every morning. And and I am feeling the pull of making the content and consuming the content. And it it is messing with my daily rhythms that I knew before COVID-19. No, I definitely, I definitely feel that tension. You know, like, so I, I actually have two responses. The first one is like, you've got to be a little bit merciful to yourself. It's like, hey, um, by the way, we're now in a global pandemic that none of us have faced in our lifetime. So, you know, take it easy on yourself a little bit. People are trying to adjust. There's there's going to be a, a process of disorientation and scrambling and trying to find our way. Don't, I mean, don't beat yourself up over that. But also acknowledge, okay, now I've got to start to produce sort of some rhythms to live out of. I've got to put some some boundaries and scheduling things in place. And I've got to begin to impose my call and will on this new reality, not just let it dictate to me how my life's going to go. Yeah. I'm a big believer in that the Christian's first task, this is George Mueller, is to make your heart happy in God every day. And that it's like cultivating the secret place, drinking deeply from that hidden well 
that everything has to flow from that. And, and to be honest with you, I've been so disciplined in that for about 20 years. And the first week of this crisis, I did not get up once and seek God, partly because I was really sick and struggled to get out of bed. But even when I was feeling better, I just I, it, it felt weird. The city was so different. I've always spent my time um, in the mornings praying outside, walking the Hudson River and being trapped in a room with no access to the outside. It completely disrupted me. So I've had to rebuild that and um, try and psychologically adjust. But at some point, you've got to get back to those core rhythms. And otherwise, because the thing I'm deeply concerned about is that this, this new reality or this quarantine time is going to deeply form our habits in ways that will impact us later that we won't be aware mm. of now. And oh, if, we wow. don't, if we don't pay attention to how we're being formed and the, the practices that we're developing now, we could come out of this thing pretty with, with some stuff in our life. We're going to have a lot of work to undo because we simply respond, reacted in the crisis rather than lived into it. So I would just pay attention to those things and then be gentle with yourself but then begin to move with intentionality into the life Jesus is calling you to. Yeah, because it feels a little bit like the first week or the first couple of days were like snow days. Like, oh, look, we don't go anywhere. And look, we eat our groceries and how cool. And now we're weeks into it. And it's like, this is not cool. And I can't live like it's a snow day every day. <laughs> yeah, I mean, part of it, it's just revealing so many things to us. I mean, it's it's just a great time of revelation about who we really are and what we really trust in and what we really do. I mean, I, I mean, I, I definitely took about a week and I just grieved. I grieved on so many levels. I grieved not just the loss of relationships, but, you know, like in all honesty, I mean, our church was going so well. We had so much godly momentum and energy and, life and things that we were working on and the vast majority of those things will not happen now we will start like we're a church plant again and i really just grieve for that because i love what god was doing in our midst and um so i i yeah it was like one or two days of snow days until you got sick or knew someone who was sick and and then it was like oh gosh this is serious and i don't think life will ever quite be the same you know so it's it's these are strange days, and um, I am actually worried that you know people people are not processing this at a deep enough level because if you don't grieve it now, if you're going to grieve it later in an unhealthy way. So I'm just encouraging everybody I know take genuine time to reflect on loss and um, in a godly way, not in a worldly way, and then uh, begin to sort of recalibrate. Can you kind of give us some like handles? What does that look like to really? feel the loss of this? Are there certain questions we should ask ourselves? Are there certain things we should think about when we're sitting down for our time with God? Like, what does it look like? Oh, I don't have a, um, I don't have a set of questions. Um, I just, you're like, what, Annie, I haven't created a new primal path for <laughs> grieving this. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, 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 I'm a very introspective contemplative person, you know, I mean, I'm a, you know, I can sit there for two hours lost in my thoughts quite easily. I basically just try and be honest with my heart and non-judgmentally let whatever's in there rise and then I try and pay attention to it and process it. 
So I just I just sit there and I think about everything, you know, like you know what do I what do I sense like I've lost and what am I really missing and then I write it down and then I just basically think about it and pray about it. It's like prayer and pondering. And you know I, I I'm reading this book. Uh, I actually read it years ago and I didn't like it that much and I'm rereading it now and it's like hidden matter from God. It's a book called oh, wow. It's called An Attentive Life by Leighton Ford and um, and. He's basically helping people go deep and pay attention to what's happening inside of them, like the deeper currents of the heart below all the activity. And so I've been reading that a chapter of that a day and sort of sitting with sort of the key scripture, the key theme. That's been very helpful in letting me process in that stuff too. But honestly, it's take time. Don't numb out. Sit with it. Pay attention to it. That's the most important thing because if we jump straight back into activity, and you know, trying to keep up, or many people have lost jobs, trying to figure out what to do next. There's stuff happening in your heart that you need to pay attention to before you move into the world. Otherwise, you're not going to be moving properly or honestly. You're going to have a lot of adrenaline, and um, that's not going to be good long term. We talk around here a lot about prayer. And when Pastor Kevin comes on, we call him the pastor of the pod, Kevin Queen, who's the pastor of Crosspoint here. When he comes on, we talk about prayer and revival. And I and I had just I'd listened to your sermons often, John, and I had just listened to the series you just did on the altars. And it was a it was a four-week preparation, really, for how do we usher in revival. And then this happens. <laughs> I mean, thanks for saying that. I mean, I didn't want to say it, but I sort of felt like there was something providential to it, particularly the stuff on the heart and the home and the wreath, you know. Oh my gosh, I moved a chair. From one room, I moved, I have I have like a little prayer chair kind of thing yeah. that I moved that I've been using for something else. And I'm after I listened to the altars of the home as a single person without children, I moved that chair in there and I was like, okay, we need to build an actual altar in this home oh, I love, where love we that. pray. It really moved me, both the heart one and the home one really moved me in behavior almost immediately. But one of my favorite things about hearing from you today is I was like, I just want to know what you're thinking about what revival is and could be and what's going on here. What What is God doing? Well, you know, it's, it's actually amazing how few people are, are asking that question. Very few people are asking, like, what do you think God's trying to do? I hear a lot, I hear a lot of people ask, um, what should we do? What should the church do? How should we respond? But very few people are saying, God, what, what do you think? What, what do you think God's actually trying to do here? What I'm giving you are just basically my observations. So I'm totally these just carry observational weight. God wants us back. That's what I think is happening. God wants his people back. And so I think he's is using this time to basically disrupt everything that's gotten in the way. I mean, yeah, because can you imagine another time on the planet when sports and entertainment and for people who don't live with someone, sexual activity. I mean, every idol we turn to is gone. Yes, everything we've deified has been destroyed. Yeah. It's crazy to watch. I see very, very hopeful signs. Um, so after 2008, um, I was in New York for 2008. I was here for Hurricane Sandy, which decimated the city. I wasn't here for 9-11, but I visited New York for the first time because of 9-11, and that's where I, I stayed up all night praying and fell in love with it and was like, oh, my gosh, I've got to move here and start a church. But after 2008, um, Tim Keller said, like, Redeemer grew by 1,000 people in a week. It's just like there was still enough um, 
That's unreal. Yeah, revival is a coming back to life. It's a returning. And the, the challenge that we're having, I think, in many ways, in terms of our culture, is that we're so post-Christian that there's nothing to return to for this generation. So it's, it's, it's fascinating. So it's, in some sense, it's, it's pre-Christian rather than post-Christian because there's, there's nothing to return to, nothing to go back to for a lot of people. So I think, you know, my focus is not on <clears throat> um, how is God going to use this to reach the world. That's my secondary fit. The first, the first thing is like God is calling his, calling his people back to himself. And we're, we're almost at the point where if something like this didn't happen, statistically, it was over. The church in the West was dead statistically. But I'm so inspired by how many churches I see praying, turning to God, getting online, Zoom calling. I know so many churches that have a 24-7 sort of Moravian prayer thing happening right now. They, they're using the time to seek God again. And that is always the start of spiritual awakening is when people turn back to God and seek God. So I am very, very encouraged by almost every church I see. It doesn't matter if they're Presbyterian or Pentecostal. They are using this time to turn back to God. So those are very, very good indicators to me that whatever God was trying to shake his people out of, they're hearing it and they're responding responding to it. The question I have is, will it last? The church is always so great in crisis, but will the urgency last or will we just go, oh, thank God it's all over, and now let's not pray again. Let's not do daily prayer. The 24th thing, let it, let it phase off. The prayers were answered, let's get back to the task at hand. And I think we'll go straight back to the blind. So it's a massive time. We should be taking it. We should, we should feel it with a sense of absolute urgency, not complacency, that this is the time in our life to seek God like never before. And not just abiding prayer, like prayers of comfort for God's presence and patience so we can get through it. I'm talking about contending intercessory prayer for God to move. Can you define that a little bit for people? Can you define the difference? Because I don't know that we've done that before, talked about the difference between your morning prayer where you're journaling and talking to God and telling Him your life stuff and listening and, and then actually like contending, marching around your house asking God to move kind of prayer. Yeah, there's a huge difference between the two. I mean, I want to start by saying the goal of all prayer is communion with God. So whatever you're doing that is um, connecting you with God, amen and more of it. That's right. That's right. Yeah, we are a generation that seems to have missed a kind of prayer that seems to be central in the Bible, particularly in sort of mainstream evangelicalism. And that is intercessory prayer. When you read accounts of God moving in the past or when you when you talk to, you know, the church mothers and church fathers, they talk about a kind of prayer that is covenantal, it's biblical, it is promise praying, it is calling on God. And they would often say they would pray until they had an assurance it would be answered. Now, how many people do you know walking around today saying, I prayed until that until God told me it would be answered? Very few people, like a few people who went to Bethel School of Supernatural Ministry. Right, right. That's right. But but that's about it. The typical person. So the prayer that we default to is comforting, abiding prayer, which is I want to walk with you. I want to know you. I want intimacy with you. Um, But it's not that intercessory prayer. I mean, the Bible is shaped by intercessory prayer. It's um, it's Abram's prayer, Moses' prayer. It's it's. 
Daniel's prayer, Samuel's prayers, Hannah's prayers. I mean, you just go all the way through the Bible and history is shaped by people who contend for the future that God wants in the world. So that's the kind of prayer that I'm beginning to see emerge. And I think we've also had um, such lack of clarity about God's will because of all the theological conjecture that we've never prayed with certainty. And so our prayers are always hedged and they're always guarded. And that, you know, and you read the old accounts of, of how people prayed. They weren't guarded. They were like, they, they are honestly, or as, as uh, Walter Wink said, it's more like bargaining in a market. It's like haggling over a price. Yeah. And we don't do that because I, the question is always, I'm going to pray this and I'm going to, you know, contend for this. But what if it's not God's will? Yeah. At some point, you've got to spend a little bit of time. Like if you read, um, yeah, if you read some of the great books on intercession, it's like, you should have, you know, in some sense, they're like, well, you should be walking with the Spirit enough to know God's will, to know. at least, yeah. at least, at least pray His, um, at least pray His word. Yeah, you know, and so, so often we we're, we're so biblically light, we take all the promises out of context that we can never, they never get into us. We never have them with, um, with a sense of authority. You know, there's a guy named Reese Howell. I don't know if you've heard of Reese Howell, uh, but okay, that's of- literally what I was going to say. Is that Pastor Kevin told me to read. The Intercessor by Reese Howells. Yeah. One of the things that's so amazing about Reese Howells that I love is uh, at the start of his life, it, and it gets back to this issue of like we don't intercede because we don't know God's will. And, and by the way, if you, if you want to read someone who will mess you up on prayer, read Finney on prayer. Okay. I've never really read. I mean, I've read about Finney. I've read accounts of Finney, but I've never read much like direct teachings about what Finney said about prayer. And he said one of the reasons he wasn't a Christian for so long is that he went to a few prayer meetings and none of the prayers were answered. He goes, I guess God's not real. It says here asking you receive and everybody's asking and no one's receiving. And he even did little bits of research. Like he checked in with the people like, hey, did you believe you'd get it? And they're like, yes. And they're like, well, why didn't you get it? And they default back to like, we can't know God's will. It's a giant mystery. And look, I'm, I'm not trying to be light on why God doesn't answer, answer prayer. It's, it is nuanced and complicated, and there's probably 10 factors involved in the invisible realm that you can't decipher one by one. My whole point is we should spend time really trying to be intimate with God and know his will so that when we do pray, they are answered. And getting back to Resale, at the start of his life, it would take him so long to get God's mind on an issue and at the end of his life, someone would walk in the room and he'd say, I know the answer to the prayer. And boom, he'd pray it and they'd get it. And so he just spent, he spent his life tuning his ear to the voice of God. And someone said to him, how do you know God's voice? And he said, well, how do you know your mother's voice when she calls out? And they said, well, I, I just do. It's my mother. And he said, it's the same way with the voice of the Holy Spirit. I just know God's voice. But that's a lifetime of listening. So I honestly think how many of us really make the number one goal of our life hearing from god and responding to him you know so it's like part of the challenge is we're now in a crisis where that's demanded of us but we haven't been formed for it and so we're scrambling to try and catch up and that's actually okay but if we keep pressing in we'll get that and uh, i think a lot of prayers will be prayed differently and a lot of answers will come that has been the thing i've felt uh, burning in me a little bit in the last couple of weeks has been like Hey Annie, you've you've got time at home. You can't see your friends every night. You can't go on dates. You can't go out with your buddies. You can't do things. So, so the burning thing in you is who can you be around? Well, 
is this my chance to like really improve my intercession life, my like contending life? Because I'm, I'm with you, John. I'll do the contending stuff when there's an emergency, but I'm not living in that. God is always looking for friends to bear his burden. And there's, a, there's an intimacy and intercession where God shares his heart with you. Um, but, you know, it, it's, it's hard to, to, to enter into that. Corey Russell always says, you know, like, all breakthrough comes after boredom. Yeah. We bounce off the boring back into numbing. But if we just stay a little bit longer, you'd be amazed at what God would reveal to you. You know, one of the ways that I basically learned to grow in this is I would just take a passage. Like I'm always praying the Bible. Like if you run out of stuff to, to say, you're not praying the Bible, the Bible, the Bible pray God's word. And um, I just take a passage and I just pray everything I can out of that passage. And I just let the Holy Spirit light it up in my heart and I pray it. And you get so much more confidence by um by meditating on a passage and praying out of a passage than you do trying to just, you know, wait for some divine revelation or, you know, trying to stay, be able to concentrate. So if you were to come to, if you were to come to one of our intercessory sets in our prayer room, the whole, it it would be five prayer points based out of a passage of scripture. And we will respond however the spirit's moving, but we at least put the word in there. So yeah, that's a great place to start. Stay at home, pick a passage, you know, one of the, I'm getting ready to do a series where I preach through all the great prayers of the Bible, um, just as a way to help our church, you know, like here's 20 different kinds of prayer and here's 20 great prayers that God answered. And they're all different styles and all different seasons. So pray the prayers of the Bible. You know, I hop basically in Kansas city, um, which I've never been to and, and know so little about. It's probably crazy. People would assume I'm a lot more connected or know it, but I've respected them from a difference, but one thing I do know is that most of their prayers were praying the great apostolic prayers, Ephesians 1, Ephesians 3, um, Colossians 1. And those prayers are prayers that Paul prayed for congregations in the midst of the expansion of the church. And uh, those are certainly great places to start if you're looking for an evening. Why not drop an evening in Ephesians 3? And so and what that would look like it would be we would open to Ephesians 3 and we would maybe read the first couple of verses out loud and then it'll make us think of something and then we go, you know what, God, that makes me think of this friend of mine who's sick and pray for them. Is that kind of the direction? Oh, that- yeah, exactly. So you, you read, the church is the manifold wisdom of God on display to the principalities and powers. Okay. Wow. There's an eternal battle right now. And the, the, all of the invisible realm is waiting to see how the church will respond. And God says, my wisdom to the principalities is my church. You're going to pray differently if you view the church as on display in the invisible realm for the glory of you. are going to pray differently. You're not just going to pray, Lord, help, help us care for the poor. You're going to pray, dear God, I pray justice will flood this earth. I pray that our six locations will love their neighborhoods, weep for what you just, it just puts it all in context. But that's basically it. Whatever God puts on your mind, you just pray it until it, it's, it sort of eases out. Um, a wonderful book um, on prayer I, I loved about the, the role of the Holy Spirit. It says there's two, we have two intercessors. Jesus is our faithful high priest who is always interceding for us. And then we have the spirit who helps us pray in our weakness. And uh, he said, Jesus intercedes whether we pray or not, but the spirit only intercedes when we pray. And so we need to give, we need to give the spirit fuel 
And he's so willing to help us. He says, we do not know what to pray as we should. It's like, thank you for your biblical honesty in Romans. Right, right. But the Spirit helps in our weakness. And so, you know, you just start praying, Lord, I don't know how. Help me, Holy Spirit. Here I am. I'm weak. Lead me. I make myself available to you. And then the Spirit begins to come in and lead and shape those prayers and give life to those prayers. I think for our friends that are listening, they're kind of, it's after Easter. They're starting. They maybe want to just start a new prayer life. Uh, You know, the encouragement is read scripture and pray it and then trust the ideas that come to your head. Believe that God is putting thoughts in your mind that you don't necessarily have to push away. I mean, like if you're thinking about doing a TikTok dance, that's different. But if you're thinking about like a city or a friend group, or if if something comes to your mind, that's, that's probably God partnering with you to pray what you need to pray. Yeah, I just I just had lunch with Lauren Cunningham, who's the founder of YWAM. Yeah, of course. And, I mean, and he was just dropping stories. My gosh, I mean, just incredible. But his basic practice, which I've never heard, I thought, mate, I am doing this. He basically says we we consciously come into the presence of God, we repent of and confess any known sin, thought, word, deed. Like we just get right with God. We bind and silence the voice of the enemy and then we listen. And I thought, oh, that's so fascinating. And then I said, well, you know, like what are some of the things that God said to you? And he just went on to basically talk about how they shaped history. Yeah, that's right. (laughs) (laughs) How they sent, I can't even imagine how many missionaries are out in the last 40 years because of YWAM. Uh, It's unbelievable. But again, who, because like that's one of the great fears. Is this me? Is this the flesh? Is this Satan? How can I know? But I'd never really heard that. Like come into the presence of God so you know you're right and then bind the voice of the enemy to deceive or confuse and then listen to the Holy Spirit. And I'd never heard that before. And, um, and I think there's something to that. If you're looking for more confidence or like, well, what if these thoughts come into my head and how do I know it's him? Bind the enemy and invite the Spirit. I mean, that's that's a new thought for me. So. You've done multiple like tours around the world of almost chasing after revival spots. Yes. And uh-huh. seeing what God has done in those places. I feel like you're our you're our researcher that we can go, okay, based on what you've seen around the world and what you've read about the last couple of hundred years of revival, how does this look like? Cause I John, I just gotta tell you, I think this is revival coming. I just do. And so, but I want to know you scientifically, <laughs> how do you see that based on the research and going to Wales and, and going to Scotland and going even upstate New York, all the places you've been and Azusa Street, like, how is this look like that in a different way? Oh, man. I mean. Have you thought that too? Or am I off? You can say, Annie, you're off on this. No, I mean, my heart is so heavy right now, man even talking about this stuff, I just, it's so real and dear to me. It's not that I'm lost for words. I'm just, I'm just trying to form them. I mean, I still don't think we are at the level of desperation that we need to see God really move. Like there's a, there's, I think there's a deeper work of of repentance and desperation. I feel it's, it's going to go one of two ways. Here's what I would say. This is an invitation. I totally believe that. This is a divine invitation. 
But whether or not we're going to take him up on it like he means or we're going to take him up on, on our terms will determine the outcome. I, I very soberly sense this is a, an invitation of God. Um, we basically need the Holy Spirit to break in with the fear of God and the awe of God. See, one of the things, so I'll give you an example. One of the things that would blow people's minds is how much in biblical revivals people talked about sin and judgment. I mean, I, I challenge you, go go listen or read any of Duncan Campbell's sermons. He would preach and he wouldn't even share the gospel. Like he literally would only preach the law and wrath of God. And then he'd say, if you want to hear about the good news of the gospel, come to an after meeting. It was mind-boggling. Go read Finney, even Evan Roberts' stuff. You go read what they preached, and we we do not know how to preach like that or even talk about it. It's, it's like you you mentioned the altars conference. Uh, sorry, the uh, the altars sermons. So I came back, I came back from my trip upstate, visiting Finney's ministry and and Daniel Nash's grave, and I came back with such repentance and the fear of God. I've never encountered anything like it. I mean, I was shaken, shaken. And I just realized how flippantly and casually and coolly I've been treating divine things. Now, if you've known me or ever listened to me, it's very unlikely that you would have said, oh, yeah, let me think about John Tyson and the church's leading. Yeah, he's flippant. Yeah, no, I wouldn't have. He's not serious. It's like you, no. you probably would have categorized me more as like, intense or hungry or thoughtful mm-hmm. and so i came back and i started preaching differently and i started um doing altar calls like lo- a lot of it's not on the podcast like they, they end the podcast before we really get into it because it's too long um but we were seeing i mean we were like calling for repentance like like i've read about in these accounts and we started seeing the presence of god manifest I'm talking secret sin, exposed, the fear of God, like you read about in biblical accounts. We just started seeing that for about a month, and then all of this came. So so I know I'm giving very long answers, which is what I No, no, no. Brother, I would give you this microphone <laughs> for a full hour. You just do what you want to do. <laughs> no, no, but my, my, my point is it's an invitation, but I, I, I want us to lean in with more seriousness and more intensity and not just think, oh, you know, no, we're doing prayer. We're seeking God. It's great. We repent, the, the level of repentance and exposure to the presence of God. And part of the problem is, is that we, we worship only half of the Jesus of the Bible. We, we only, we only worship and talk about the incarnated Jesus, not the resurrected one in revelation two and three. And if you read those, it's very, very troubling. Jesus in revelation is troubling. And um, yet revival looks in many ways more like the Jesus uh, in the book of Revelation than it does the other Jesus we, we spend more time with. As you're talking, I'm thinking about, I love the Welsh revival. It's one of my favorite things. Like The World of Flame is one of my favorite books. I just am such a fan of that, the story, especially that like, you know, Flory Evans, a teenager, stands up and says, I love the Lord with my whole heart. I love Lord Jesus with my whole heart. And it it kicks off this massive revival because of a one teen girl, you know. But the the thing you're right about is we're not, it, it makes me teary, we're not talking about repentance. Like, we aren't hearing stories right now 
happening right now. We're hearing survival stories and people doing their best they can in their homes to connect with the Lord, but people aren't talking about their sin. Yeah. Look, you know, I mean, I have a daily checklist of the 12 things I try and do every day to live the life I want to live. I rarely do all 12, but one of those is like, whim- I have a whimsy, joyful streak. I'm trying yeah. to live. I'm trying to live out of wonder. So most people who know me say the gift I bring to life is like a childlike disposition. I've been through hell and I still and I'm still, you know, pretty alive and and have a tender heart. But I tell you what, I, I sense the fear of God like I've never sensed it, and it's and it's so hard because I, I think one of the enemy's great schemes has to so remove talk of sin and judgment. That to bring it back makes you look like a sign-holding psycho rather than a biblical Christian, you know. And I think the reason we've seen so little of what other generations have seen is because we we don't view God like they view God, and we don't preach like they preach. I've I've seen one account in our church, and I felt like this was a um, like a foretaste. We had a girl come into our services. This is a couple of years ago. Walked in off the street. And she was so troubled. It looked demonic. Could you see her from stage? Yeah, she came, sat at the back and then waited. Waited. We basically have a half hour time of lingering, which is like space for the ministry of the Holy Spirit. And she sat through that. And at the end of it, when everybody's packing up, she came up to my wife and I said, excuse me, I'd like to talk with you. And you, you know when you just get the sense like there is something wrong with this person's spirit. You could see it and feel it. And we just said, well, you know, what, what's going on? And she said, several days ago, somebody at work mentioned to me that I'm not right with God. And I've been so convicted about my life. I can't sleep. I can't do my job at work. So I took today off work and I've been walking around the city trying to find a church I can repent in. And she said, I just, she said, I, I'm in your neighborhood. She said, I went down to the bus depot to go to um, Philadelphia to try and get away from my spiritual depression. But God was with me at the bus station. So I gave up leaving the city and said, I need to find a church. And so she said, uh, you know, is, your, is this a church I can get right with God? And I was like, yeah. And so, my, my, but, you know, my wife basically counsels her through it. And uh, she says, why don't you just confess in your own words? And this woman let out this moan. And it was like I said, it sounded demonic. I mean, it just... And it only sounded demonic because we don't live in a society that enables people to manifest anguish in culturally acceptable ways. And it was just like coming from such a deep part of it. And she just was saying, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. And then my wife basically shares the gospel with it. And then it turns into joy, like the same level of intensity, but I'm free, I'm free, I'm free. And I've, I've only ever encountered one time in my life seeing like what I've read about in the Hebrides revival, and it was that, and it was like that girl. She could not escape the presence of God. She was completely overcome with a, a spirit of conviction, and it would not let up until she got right with God. Right so, until she found, yeah. And that's what I'm aching for. And to be honest with you, I don't see much of that right now. And so. Tell me for those of us, you know, who are hearing you and think, okay, I I need to check in with God about my own sin and I need to to repent. Where would you have them start praying? Would you do the search me, oh God, and know me? Like oh, yeah, how do totally. we yeah, just totally just the good news is even though you preach a strong message against sin, 
on the other side of it, you preach a stronger message about the beauty of Jesus. You know, so you're coming, you're coming to him because he loves you and wants to save you from your sin. What he's trying to do is wake you up from the delusion that you're fine. You know, and so that's what you have the urgency to show people the condition they're in, but then the wonder of who Jesus is in the gospel. But yeah, so I, I'm 100% like, search me, oh God. Like, you know my heart and see if there's any offensive way in me. And I'm telling you, when the spirit comes, one person who um, gave their life to Christ in one of the, the revivals, I think it was the New York City revival. They said it was like every sin they had ever committed at once, the guilt of it. They said 10,000, the consequences and guilt of 10,000 sins all present at once. That's what they said the experience of the spirit coming on them was like. It's like everything they'd ever done wrong and felt guilty with manifest at once, a crushing, overwhelming sense of guilt. And um, so I'll, I'll say when I've asked the Holy Spirit to search me, God has gone back in and highlighted exaggerations that I've told from years ago that I'd forgotten about, tiny little nuanced things where I just misrepresent. It's not that it wasn't true. It just wasn't that it was totally true. Tiny little. See, as Christians, we get rid of the big sins. You know, like if you're having sex with your girlfriend or boyfriend, you're like, you know what, I probably shouldn't do this. And, and um, if you hate someone, like literally hate someone, God will be like, you get, you got to forgive. But it's all those little attitudes of the heart, those little fine-tuned things where the world's gotten in and our standards are, are basically wrong, and that's what the spirit really starts getting through. Well, I can tell you, I'm an Enneagram 7, and so I promise we haven't spent enough time on this show talking about the power of repentance and and feeling the sadness around your sin and and so once people do that, what's the what's the reason to do that? What's the good side of that? When we're in our homes trapped by ourselves or with our families for the foreseeable future, what's the benefit to our souls of connecting with God in a way that will bring up old stuff that we don't want to think about because we're embarrassed or because we're sad or what's the what's the good side of doing that amount of work on yourself? I mean, a level of intimacy with God that we mm. that we don't know. It's like you, if you ever had a friend and you talk behind their back a bunch and you hide things from them and you sort of like half represent the truth and then you spend lots of time with them, it just doesn't feel great. Right, right. You know, you're like, you're like there's not like a level of intimacy and authenticity. There's a guardedness in your heart. And, um, but if you really value that relationship and you make it right and you say, you know what, I, I, I want this to be a better relationship. And you get it all out there. The level of intimacy that comes through that is huge, and I think that's basically what we're after. You know, we're we're basically trying to trying to have deeper levels of intimacy with God, and so He's always trying to He's always trying to get out of us whatever's left of the world or our you know the flesh, and because He wants our whole heart, because He's holy, He hates sin. You know, and we forget the ways because we live in a generation that for the most part has tried to be cool, you know, and we've wanted we've wanted the world to acknowledge us and recognize us and not dismiss us as irrelevant. And many of it has been sort of like through noble missional motives, but a little bit of syncretism snuck in where we've loved we've loved cool for cool's sake, not for mission's sake. 
And uh, so that stuff's in us and we just don't know it. And it's blocking us from intimacy with God and it's warping our attention spans now, our sensitivity to the spirit. And so because God wants us, he wants all of us, he's jealous for us, it says. You know, to, to be friends with the world is to make yourself an enemy of God because the spirit he put within us is jealous. That's why Paul says, like, I've got godly concern for you that just like Eve was deceived, so you will be seduced away from your simple and undivided uh, devotion to God. And that, that's what we're after is that those levels of intimacy, you know. You know like, so, so to, to say, um, like, you know, when if you grew up in the church, like the last night of camp, Mm-hmm. And it's just like there was just that sense that like the hardest kid was going to get right with God. And right. at, at 5.30 p.m., <laughs> God was nowhere to be found. And at, But at, you knew at 9 p.m., that kid's coming That's to the right. altar and Jesus is in the room and he's going, it's like it's just an environment where God just presses in and just and just draws us to himself and breaks even the hardest heart. And he, he does that in our lives if we give him the space to do that. Yeah. <laughs> the last night of camp. That's such a good comparison of what it, yeah, what it feels like. What I'm hearing when you're saying all this, John, is this feeling of like, maybe there, maybe part of this invitation from God isn't necessarily only the big revivals we see where people fill stadiums, but we get to have revivals in our homes and in our hearts. And like, like I can have, be in revival with God in this as I walk closer to him and go after that intimacy, even if it's painful to face my sin. No, I, I totally agree. I mean, the number one thing that God wants is he wants us to love him. And all, all decline starts from a lack of first love. I mean, you're like in Revelation 2, you've got a lot of great stuff going on, but you just don't love me like you used to. And at the end of it, that first love leads to a kind of decline where it's like Jesus is knocking saying, hey, can I come back into the church, please? He's not even in the church. He's outside asking to be let back in because he wants fellowship with us. And so it is absolutely possible, regardless of the culture that you live in around you, to live in personal revival. And you can have a, a culture of repentance and life in your own heart. You know, it's, it's really funny, probably for the last 18 months. I mean, my life has been so excruciatingly hard here in New York. Really? Yeah, I mean, just stuff I can't even talk about. Yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah, of course. So many obstacles. And, but I've been living in what I would describe as personal revival and so just on my, just my own heart. And it's, it's been so crazy, the level of life and intimacy, joy, presence, conviction, tenderness to the spirit for probably the last 18 months. And I've, I've tried to honestly like figure out how can I bring our church into what's happening in my heart right now. There's been other times when it hasn't been like that. But it, there's been the, the desire for that, not the reality of that. And I think a big part of it is I just, I just said I, I just I basically turned forty and I said I'm just gonna get, I'm just gonna give the second half of my life to God in a completely different way. And you know, I've got nothing to prove. I've got no bucket list stuff. There's nothing I want to do for God. I just want to walk with God. And so I set my heart. My life verse has always been. Um, you know, Enoch walked with God, but before he was before he was translated, it said he had this testimony that he pleased God. I said, "That's what I want. I want to walk with you, and I want a testimony of pleasing you." So I just set my heart on that without outcome, and um, so I, I definitely believe that God's giving us an invitation because, like, honestly, many of our excuses are melting away. 
But one of the great things one of my mentors said to me one time, I was complaining about something, and he says, John, you can tell what you really value when um, the obstacles and your the obstacles and root of your complaint is removed and you have the option to do the thing you've been complaining about. And if you do it, it shows you really meant it. And if not, it was idle. It was just it was an idol or a critique. And so it's like, I want this, I want this. And it's like, but I can't because of fill in the blank. And now you can if you don't. It's the true revealer of what it is that you really wanted. So I just yes. would encourage people, you know, and my advice Honestly, it's, it's many times it's very contrary to what um, people would expect. It's like when I was so Corey Russell is a, a guy. If you don't know Corey, you know about him. He's, a, he's my favorite preacher on earth. He's this extraordinary guy. Carries the presence of God like nobody I know. And so I said to him, "Hey man, I'm trying to do 24 seven prayer in New York." So I, I found him on the internet. Yeah. Emailed him and said, Can I pay you and pay you a speaking fee? But I don't want you to preach. I just want to talk to you about prayer. And um, he basically said to me, I said, Look, I want to do 24 7 prayer. And he goes, Get that yoke off your back. It'll crush your church and turn to legalism. I was like, Well, what should I do? He said, Do one prayer meeting. And if it's good, do two. And if two sucks, go back to one. Yeah. <laughs> and then relaunch out and make two better. And if you can sustain two with his life to it, do three. And he's like, just build at the pace of God and the Spirit. So I don't tell people, you're going to do a 40-day fast now and read the Bible four hours a day. I'm just like, the thing you have to do is resolve in your spirit that you will seek God and then be diligent, not legalistic in it, and let the Spirit grow inside of you. If you draw near to God, he'll draw near to you. And then as, as you draw near to him and he draws near to you, build that into a rhythm of life. So, you know, it's not, it's not, it's like use the time you have, but be consistent. Uh, but don't crush yourself where you do, like you try to pray four hours once and you couldn't, therefore you're done with prayer. Right. You're, better off right. with 10, you're better off with 10 minutes every day and then growing it over time. Yeah, that's right. I think you would say as well, well, I'll let you say, but these patterns we build right now, these muscles we build right now in this stay-at-home life are meant to for something after this. That God's there is something about this that's getting us ready for something. I 100% agree. I was in a um, a board meeting for an uh, an organization that I really love and committed to. And so I had this four-hour meeting, and um, one of the things they were asking about uh, in the it's basically like, what do we do with this time? And they they um, they had these three questions that. That really struck me. This is what they're about. So, things through the future of the church. What needs to change for the church? What needs to be preserved for the church? And I was like, okay, that's good. But then we went into this other thing about disrupting old patterns and creating new ones. And th this is this this struck me. This is what I said. What can we do now that we couldn't do before? Okay. What habits can we build now that we will need later? And then how do we anchor these new habit, habits and behaviors before the window closes and they go away? Yeah. And I thought, that's it. That's yeah. that's what it is. Because if you're like a school teacher, you don't need to, the habit you don't want to build is that you pray from 10 to 11 a.m. Or can you do that now and then figure out what it looks like when you're in school? I mean, you know, pray without speaking. You're like, yes, pray from 10 to 11 No, 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 no. Like it's like <laughs> pray what you can, where you can, when you can. But I'm yeah. telling you, you're better off. I think it's more strategic to build now what will emerge later, 100%. So 
So our church has always, so we've, we've had four hours of prayer a day uh, for a while before all of this stuff happened. And it was seven to eight, eight to nine, nine to 10, and then 12 to one. And it was basically built around sort of the cascading wave of when people started working in Manhattan. And um, I would encourage people, like, if you have an idea of what your schedule is going to return to, build that structure around that now and stick with that. Because it, it, it'll really see. Because otherwise, you know what you say? It's like, well, I can't do it anymore because that, that was my quarantine life. And now I'm back to real life. Mm-hmm. And you've got to build your real life and your quarantine life. So, yeah, aligning that as much as possible with where, where I think you're headed. Um, you know, like, here's my personal prayer rhythms. Very, very simple. And I've been able to sustain this for a while. It's like my, in the morning, it's intimacy with God. That's it. At lunchtime um, and through the day, it's incarnational prayer. It's basically, God, where are you moving? How do I join you? How do I love the city? What are you saying? And then at night, it's intercession. Ah, okay. So my day has three little movements. And at night, I contend for the destiny of my family and city and church. At lunch, I'm just trying to just say, like, Holy Spirit, where are you working? Help me observe you. You know, like I'm, I'm trying to discern the will of God. And in the mornings, I'm just enjoying God. And um, so I've, I, I have found that pushes my heart in the right directions. Yeah. And it's not that it, it, whether there's a crisis, whether I'm working a 70-hour week or a 10-hour week, those three movements in my day give me a rhythm of, of life with God that's been very, very rewarding. So maybe it's setting up your own version of what that is that will work beyond the crisis. I like that separating. My problem has always been I'm not very good at separating my intimacy time and my intercession time. But if I literally put a block on my calendar that says, okay, in the evenings, you're going to do this for however long, 15 minutes, 30 minutes, five minutes, whatever. And then at least I go, okay, that's a different kind of prayer. I can, this morning, what matters more is getting my heart, ha- what, what, what's the line? Get your heart glad with God? Yeah, happy man, with it's God? making yourself happy in God. It's cultivating joy. Yeah. 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 That's Mueller's term. I think I need to let myself off the hook a little bit of that morning hour needs to be all the types of prayer all the time. <laughs> yeah, no, and it's like, like I said, I have no legalism in this. I literally call these like three movements of my heart. Yeah. Like in the morning, I'm just turning my heart towards God and I'm trying to enjoy his presence. And then during the day, but particularly I have a a specific practice at lunch, I'm trying to be like do life with God during the day. And at night, I'm like, it's a prayer list. It is, I'm praying specific passages of scripture over specific things, believing God for the, you know, to shape history and the future of my life and the thing I'm involved in through contending prayer. So everyone's going to, everyone's going to figure out who they are and how that works. Um, but that's just worked for me. This will be um, our last question. Cause we are eating into your lunch. I'm sorry. We're messing with your lunchtime. Tell me how you are praying or how we should be praying or how you'd encourage us to pray about COVID-19. Like, are you just praying for God to destroy it? I mean, how do we how do we pray against a, a pandemic disease like this? I'm 100% praying that God will will end coronavirus. End it. This is killing. You know, the thing that's so sad about it is it's killing the vulnerable. Yeah. And that that to me is is why it's worthy of asking for it to be decimated, like the the elderly and those who are weak and immunocompromised or whatever. Yeah, I'm praying. I'm praying that God will end it, and, and I'm also praying, um, God, wake us up. You know, wake us up to our mortality. 
We've, been, we've lived in a delusion, and the delusion is that we're going to live forever and that we're right. at, we can live without consequence. And so I pray that God would like, Lord, show people their mortality and may they turn to you in it. And so like when you see the stuff going around the internet, like searches for prayer are up radically, I'm like, I pray God, activate that, use that. Like the, yeah. I, I pray specifically for the redemptive things I see happening to be strengthened and accelerated. Yes, Lord, if people are looking, you know, if they're Googling prayer more than ever, raise up movements of prayer where people can encounter you. If people are searching peace and anxiety, Lord, please br- bring people the peace of your presence and the good news of the gospel. So I try and pray in the redemptive directions I see. Yeah, every time our team prays together right now, at my team that I work with, the last thing we always say is, and Lord, would you just get rid of this thing? You can do it. You can do it. Just get rid of it. Yeah. <laughs> we'll plan and we'll do whatever you ask us to do, but we'd also love to see you just rid the world of this thing. Yeah. The last thing I'd say is, um, I mean, that last talk I gave uh, in the altar series about Jehoshaphat, mm-hmm. you know, it's so like they came as one person and they stood before the Lord and they said, we don't know what to do, but our eyes are on you. And it's like, I spend a lot of time, like I'm trying to stand before God on behalf of the city that I love and serve and say, God, I am literally asking, have mercy on New York, have mercy on this city, God. And use the, you know, like if, if you did a miracle here, then nations would be in awe. Right. So God, please, you know, amplify your power through the city that is the hardest hit. You know, I spent a lot of time praying like that. Yes. We will um we will join you in that. John, this is a hard left turn for us to make, but it's the last uh, question you always ask. You have a new book coming out in the in August, is that right? I think it's in July. Yeah. In July. Okay, good. Well, if if you want to, we'd love to have you back to talk all talk down that whole thing as well. I'd be happy to. Okay, so the last question you always ask, <laughs> get ready, because the show's called That Sounds Fun. Yeah. Now you gotta tell us what you do for fun. I go to jazz shows. <gasps> really? Jazz. Yes, come on. You love it. Who who do you love? Oh, oh gosh. I mean, that's that's too broad. I mean, <laughs> the, the most the most transcendent. So I'll give you two moments. Two two great okay. moments. One um, was with a group of church planters. We saw uh, John Petitucci, who's a, a Christian bass player, and he's his Grammy Award winner. I mean, just amazing. And uh, so we'd spent a week basically training some uh, church planters. And we're um, in this cla- new uh, New York standard, where the jazz standard, where I'm um, eating barbecue, drinking old fashions. Yeah, there's this guy just in total flow with the Holy Spirit and music, fully present. And I spent a week with these amazing guys planting churches, and then closing it out with a Grammy-nominated, world-class Christian bass player doing it for the glory of God. I mean, it honestly doesn't get us better than that. Yeah, and. Um, Another great moment, I took my wife uh, just around the corner. I live on 45th Street in Manhattan, and uh, Bird, Birdland is on 44th around the corner. Yeah. And uh, we went and saw um, her favorite artist, and she just got this incredible dessert that we were sharing, and we were just sitting there, and it was just one of those moments where I was like, what I love about jazz is, A, it's a metaphor for leadership. It's mastery. And then you're playing from the heart rather than following a script. But I, I, it's it's one of those things that d- it's a focal practice for me. It demands my presence. If you're in a jazz show and you pull your phone out, someone will slap you. Yeah. No recording. Put your phone away. Be present. 
so there's like that's about as good as it gets for me. I mean, just going. That, that's what I love to do. That's what we do for fun. I don't know that you know this about me, but the city of my heart is New York. I think about moving there all the time. You're, can I give you an official invitation? Come on. We welcome <laughs> thank you. you thank you very arms. much. I open whatever <laughs> gates or doors that I carry. They're all open for you. Well, thank you very much. You know, a million of my friends are in your church. And so I would I would stop there first. No question. Um, that would be the place I'd want to be. I mean, I just want to go to your college of prayer. I like hear you talk about these schools of prayer y'all have. And I'm, I texted Pastor Kevin. I was like, how do we go to that from Nashville? <laughs> how do we get to do that? That was that was for real. The saddest thing. They were all set to do a trip to Hernhut where we had yes. planned that they were going to do 24-7 prayer with the Moravian remnant and uh, COVID shut it down. Uh, but it's back on next year. We're doing another year of it. Yeah, good. Yeah. Okay, so final question. If someone is going to listen, if they're going to open Spotify or Apple Music and listen to one jazz artist, who's our... Who's our gateway drug into jazz? Oh, I mean, it's got to be John Coltrane. Uh, it's it's not a cliche. Coltrane is so good. Okay. Um, Coltrane, you know, I mean, he had a spiritual encounter. I mean, he was a drug addict, and he felt like he, he felt like he got free. So, I mean, if if you had to start anywhere on anything, it would be Love Supreme. And to me, that is that is it. Okay, that's my work music today. I'll do it as soon okay. as we're done. <laughs> okay. Thank you for doing this today, John. You are. Um, pastoring far more people than you could have ever dreamed and i'm i'm one of them and i'm just incredibly thankful oh thanks so much this this has been fun so this is a properly titled podcast okay this good thank you <laughs> oh friends i um i know what a lot to digest and really important stuff and what a gift john tyson is to us my gracious I just feel so lucky to have people on the planet. Like, as he said, that he walked through 18 months of such hard stuff, but in a personal revival. And now he can turn around and lead us like that. It feels like such a gift from God. So make sure you follow him on social media. Tell him thanks so much for his words and his wisdom and his teaching today and his leadership. And you can go ahead and pre-order his new book, Beautiful Resistance, The Joy of Conviction in a Culture of Compromise. That is a great thing to go ahead and do today. Just hop on there, pre-order it. It'll show up in July and you will be thrilled. And he has a whole collection of incredible writings. His teachings are at Church of the City, New York. And like we talked about multiple times, there is this series that is the four altars that just happened. So if you go to Church of the City, New York podcast feed, scroll back very little, just a, just a little bit, and you'll hit these four altar sermons. I'd like to thank my friend Becca um, that I get to meet with a couple times a month as she's the one who sent me the first altars series and it is amazing. So, and as you guys like to know, sometimes we have a little sponsored book bag here at the end where some books that I like to tell you about that I'm keeping around today for the sponsor for Annie's book bag. I want to tell you about Grace Looks Amazing on You. Grace Looks Amazing on You is a hundred day devotional packed with personal stories and reflections scripture and biblical truth to help women go deeper into God's word and confidently radiate the grace of Christ. Grace looks like failure and standing back up, being kind to someone at the grocery store or someone you're having to deal with out in public, even if the line is long and it's going slower than you want it to. Grace looks like knowing that no valley lasts forever and embracing the season you're in. Oof, we need that. So go to amyseifert.com. That's A-M-Y. S-E-I-F-F-E-R-T.com to learn more about the author. Grace Looks Amazing on You is available today wherever books are sold. And it's a great gift idea for any woman in your life. 
If you need anything else from me today, friends, I'm embarrassingly easy to find. Annie F. Downs, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, my house, all the places you may need me. That is exactly where I am. That is how you can find me. And if today's conversation has encouraged you to change or alter or begin a prayer life, we have listed for you in the show notes a couple of the books that John mentioned. And as well, like he said, just start in scripture. Go to Ephesians 3. Ephesians 3 is toward the back. Just flip open there and go to chapter three and read the scriptures out loud and what comes to your mind. Just start praying that. Maybe put a little time on your calendar tomorrow to make for some different praying. Um, I'll tell you one thing I am asking God every day is to pass over our city. That where you live, pray the same thing, that that the blood of Jesus would cover us and that, and that this disease would pass over our city, that God would protect Nashville and that we would um, see people turn to him and that he would rid the planet of COVID-19, that God would just rid the planet. Um, that is what we're asking, Lord. So, And y'all know I usually say, go out and do something that sounds fun to you, but I'm just going to switch it up. Stay home and do something that sounds fun to you, and I will do the same. And we'll see you back here on Thursday with a really cool show. You guys, about a month ago, a little more than a month ago, I got to go to NASA in Houston, and I met Stacy Morgan, whose husband is astronaut Drew Morgan, who actually returns from over 250 days in space, nine months in space. He returns Thursday night in the middle of the night leading into Friday morning. And so I sat down and talked with Stacy about that and about her husband being an astronaut, about her own life. So we thought it'd be really fun to bring you that show the same day that Drew heads back to planet Earth. So that will be on Thursday with Stacy Morgan talking all about NASA, astronauts, her life, moving, the whole thing. It's an awesome show. So we'll see you back here on Thursday. Y'all have a great week.